the nominees for the best picture of the year are Chinatown, a Robert Evans production, Paramount, Robert Evans producer. The Conversation, a director's company production, Paramount, Francis Ford Coppola producer, Fred Roos co-producer. The Godfather Part Two, a Coppola company production, Paramount, Francis Ford Coppola producer, Gray Fredrickson and Fred Roos co-producers. Lenny, a Marvin Wirth production, United Artists, Marvin Wirth producer. The Towering Inferno, an Irwin Allen production, 20th Century Fox, Warner Brothers, Irwin Allen producer. And the winner is... Godfather Part Two, Francis Ford Coppola, Gray Fredrickson, and Fredrickson. Hey, it's Matty Price, myself, and today's host, Jamie Dew, are here for you, as we will be in every episode. Welcome to For Your Reconsideration, an Oscars podcast. As always, we have an amazing panel of film buffs. This week, we are looking at the best picture of 1974, The Godfather Part Two, as well as the other nominees, Lenny, The Conversation, The Towering Inferno, and Chinatown. As always, we will open it up so the panel can discuss those films, but also curate their own ballots, remove choices they think don't work, add films that they feel like shouldn't have been overlooked, so thanks again for listening. Subscribe through the podcast client of your choice to get new episodes every week as they are available. Welcome to season one. And now it's time to join this episode's host, Jamie, uh, panelists Norm Wilner, David Brown, David Follows, Andrew Parker, and Jose Roldan. Listen, the episode was originally recorded live and in person in 2016. Remember 2016? Before there was a pandemic? And we all... Oh, uh, never mind. Anyway... Let's get into it. It's 1974 is what we're doing. And I, uh, of course, I didn't recall that. This is the year I was born. So, uh, well, of course okay you wouldn't recall. Don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, don't remember. I don't remember a whole bunch. We will go around the table with introductions. Does everybody introduce themselves? I wasn't here when everybody else arrived, but uh, uh, we'll start over here on my left. Uh, Andrew Parker. I am the film and performing arts editor of the website Dork Shelf. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew J. Parker. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, I'm Norm Wilner. You can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner. I'm the senior film writer for Now Magazine, and I also do some stuff for MSN. Great. Um, I'm Phil Brown. You can find me on Twitter at that Phil Brown, and um, I write for a bunch of I write for Dork Shelf and Now, like them, and I write for Charm Star and Club Mail and Rumor and Fangoria and a bunch of. Anyone will let me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jose Roldan. You can find me on Twitter at Deck22CM. And I work for one of the major studios. I'm a suit. But I love old movies. I'm all about <laughs> Note, he's not in a suit right yes. now. Yeah. Uh, I'm David Follows. I am only from Drink Along with Dave and Jeremy. Uh, I play Jeremy. I'm going to steal Jeremy's <laughs> joke from the last episode. Um, uh, we're on the Modern Spirit Network. And you can follow us on Twitter at Drinkalong. And myself, you can follow me at dfidicus. It spells itself. 
I'm, I'm, I'm trying to spell it right now. <laughs> it would have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't really spell itself. Just go to uh, drink long now. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for coming out on a on a hazy Sunday. Um, we are here talking 1974. Um, and what better place to start in 1974 than um, what do you say we start with Chinatown? Sure. Forget yeah. it. I'm going to found Chinatown. Let's go with Chinatown. It's Chinatown. Profound psychological essay on the evil that men and women do, uh, written by Robert Town, directed by Roman Polanski, probably one of the best movies in the 1970s. Oops, I may have given something away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, right. you didn't give away the ending to Chinatown. <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> the title does that. Although you would not believe what men can do when they are pressed. <laughs> no one really knows. Do they? Do they, Mr. Gittish? Do they? Sorry. Isn't it Gids? Doesn't he call him? He calls him Gids. Yeah, Mr. Gittish. Yeah. He always gets it wrong because he doesn't Because he doesn't care. care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so again, John Huston, best supporting actor. That's my... Anyway, sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's one of the great villain performances. And Jack was time. sleeping with uh, his TV or his movie daughter and his real life daughter when they were making that movie. That's creepy. <laughs> That oh, explains yeah. all that aggression. Houston's, 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 yeah. Houston's daughter. Yeah. Jack was with Houston's daughter. Oh, Angelica. He and yeah. Angelica Houston yeah. were in that thing. Were an item when they were making that film. So it was when he was like, are you fucking my daughter? It's like, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Jack is so badass in that movie, though. That's yes. when it still counted. You know, and after that, it's just like a version of himself. Yeah. But in this version, in this movie, he's so awesome. Yeah. He, he's awesome, but he's also kind of a wimpy badass. Like, every time someone confronts him, like the scene where he's uh, oh, confronted you. by Roman Polanski, he gets his nose cut. It's not really a badass thing. You kind of just folded. (laughs) Like, if you you, you act like such a badass, but there's these two dudes, and the little shrimpy dude gets the jump on you. Really, all you have to do is step back. Yeah. Yeah. He cannot actually reach you. Yeah, you could just bob. Even if you're being held back, you could have bobbed your head just enough for him to miss you. (laughs) But that is what's so great about about the character, is that he doesn't... He's he's a terrible detective. Like, he's immediately... (laughs) The very first scene is he is tricked by someone who isn't who she says she is into doing something that isn't what he thinks it is. Um, he continues to get everything wrong. It's it's um, <laughs> it's the Harrison Ford Blade Runner performance, basically, where you just suck, but people <laughs> keep falling over. Like, people keep tripping. You, you're there at the right moment. It's, um, it's a really different version of a sleuth than we've been led to believe, although this was just a year after The Long Goodbye, where, where Elliot Gould played a very similar oh, such a good movie. Yeah. And, and a very similar kind of detective who's yeah. just... He, although with Gould, you get the sense with Marlowe that like he's actually paying attention. Yeah, he, yeah, he could actually be good <laughs> and faking it. And yeah. with Giddy's, he's overconfident. He's a dumbass. He has already gotten people killed before the movie starts. And whatever happened in Chinatown, <laughs> he screwed up. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens when this plan, like basically, and this is a bit of a spoiler, I suppose, conceptually. But the bad guys do win. Like the the plan oh, that he is lured oh, into yeah. Yeah. works in the mm-hmm. first two minutes of the film. And he is played from beginning to end. And watching Jack Nicholson be that guy, as opposed to the character from The Last Detail or uh, the characters for, uh, he played before who were super confident and also competent, that was really something. That was kind of a statement of Nicholson's at the time. Is, is he competent in Last Detail? Well, yeah. He's he a, does lot, a lot of bluster. He, he does like, his yeah. job and he doesn't get anybody killed and he does, like, he, he knows the Except system. Except for the one that he was supposed to get killed. Yeah, but yeah. he knows the system is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so there's enough. that. At yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's a, a cog in a machine, but he cooperates and he's, yep. he's doing a, he's a professional. In this one, he is absolutely a professional with very nice suits and yeah. a lovely office and he's useless. 
But yeah. <laughs> like we we Which we, is a very but, California but, thing. He yeah. looks very good, he's exactly. very flashy, mm. and he is very indicative of that period of California history where yeah. you know you could get by on your looks and your swagger and, and that's fine. And yeah. the thing that's so well written about it is we we just said that it's a it's a great film about someone who's always wrong with everything. Everyone around him knows he's gonna screw this That's up true. right <laughs> to the end. The punchline of the movie is you should have seen this coming. <laughs> And I think that's what I love about it. I think I think it's one of the best uh, films of the '70s because it's probably the best written film of the '70s, and in terms of how that all comes together and how it sort of turns sort of the the detective genre sort of on its ear, and also uh, it's a great California history lesson. And I think the reason yeah. that like several years later. Because uh, I saw it in the 80s when I was growing up for the first time. And I think several years later, the reason I liked something like L.A. Confidential is because I was like, oh, Chinatown prepared me for this. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, Chinatown's a great stepping stone movie for anyone that wants to get into film noir in any way. Mm -hmm. Like, if you've never seen another movie like that, it's probably a good place to start because you're never going to get another movie like that again. <laughs> yeah, and it's sun-drenched instead of noir. So yeah. it yeah, actually yeah. fights exactly. subversive on every level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, although, of course, at the time, people just thought, oh, what a lovely Robert Evans studio production. It's so polished and gorgeous. And it is. It absolutely yeah. is. Mm -hmm. But it's this... You know, it's it's filled with snakes. It's it's this veneer of, of of respectability. But much like what was happening in Roman Polanski's life at that time, it's just a rat's nest of ugly. It's interesting for me, uh, I mean, coming at it for the first time for, for this podcast. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this was the film on the list that least grabbed my attention. And, and it wasn't, hmm. not to you say that. Like the title? Initially? <laughs> no, after no, watching, no through, watching like, Pacing was, uh, was interesting. I think this is where the show, like the do-over, um, you know, suffers from a, a context hmm. sort of thing. This was the first time I watched this movie and it was the first one I also watched for the 74 series. Okay. So, you know, I had to sort of get into that different style filmmaking, right? Like films look different. They felt different. They were paced differently. And, and this is a deliberate attempt to mimic and uh, to evoke an era that didn't exist really like this sort of beautiful, splendid 1920s yeah. filmmaking that wasn't there in the 1920s. That's not how they made movies. It's like the artist where it's not really about movies made in a silent era. It's about movies made, around seeing in the rain. It's like the romanticized. Yeah, which is what the Yeah, it's a false the sense of nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. But this a, this one's actively working to create that. So this side of the table, uh, you guys can't see me, but the left side of the table, big fans. Huge. Oh, huge. Really massive fans. Over here on the right. Dave? Uh, I've always enjoyed this movie every time I start to watch it, and then when I get to the end, I'm always, that ending always gets me every time because I always, I always, I get so drawn into the film because it's so gorgeous and it is such uh the pacing is just perfect. It's like it's one of the perfect films for it. it just it gets you from point A to point Z because it's such a a weird ending. Um, but that weird ending gets me every time, and every time I'm so disappointed by the film at the end. I'm like, ah, oh, crap! I hate. I forget that I always. I, I have a mental block on that ending. But I mean, it, it the film itself is just uh, you can't take your eyes off it. Yeah, one of the every frame. Sorry. Uh, yeah, one of the things I love about visually is the way it's all so subtly subjective. Like every shot is from. Jack Nichols' perspective, but you don't necessarily notice it because it's done in a way where it, you know, it's not point of view necessarily. Yeah. And he's in every he's in scene. Every he's in show. every scene, yeah. and it's always coming from his perspective, which was a useful tool. And then one of the things I like is it's so, like, handsome and, like we were talking before, like, carefully mounted, and then that ending is all handheld com uh, cameras yeah, and ragged, right. yeah. and it's incredibly discomfort, and it sort of pulls you right out of 
any veneer of old-fashioned filmmaking that you've fallen into. Like, it's kind of like switching from a really watching a really polished movie, and then for like the last fifteen minutes or so, you just switched over to the news. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> and yeah. it works like tonally. It even works beautifully because obviously, like most. I'm assuming anybody listening to a podcast about Oscar movies from 1974 knows the story behind Chinatown, which is that it's not town's ending. The original screenplay ended very differently, and Rowan Polanski said, no, this has to go bad. This has to be worse. And the ending feels like he has, like Polanski, the filmmaker, has dragged you by your collar into his movie, into the movie that he really wants to make. And it's nasty, and it's ugly, and it's bloody, and it's horrible, and... You know, that, that leer on that one guy's face, which I can conjure up in my head yeah. right now perfectly, just, you know, this is what this movie is. This yeah. is what these these events would end in. And there's so many elements of the film that conform to that. Like, I always am sort of struck by Faye Dunaway's performance. And the beginning, I find very mannered and awkward. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, deliberately so. A for homage and B for the game that she's trying to play. And right. then by the end, she's entirely naturalistic in a way that well, she Polanski can be. Well, complete knob to her on set. Yes, the definitely. Oh, they kept her on in a cup and everything? Oh, yeah. yeah there's yeah, so yeah. many stories about the stuff that he did to her. Yeah, delightfully abusive man. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it does have two of the best get out of jail free cards at that point, but still, yeah. Yeah. as it were. <laughs> uh, Where are you on this one, Jose? Is this, I don't like Roman Polanski, so it's my only Roman Polanski movie that I like. Period. Uh, I hate that he's in it. That kind of yeah. me. that's like I, the I one like, thing. It's like, come on, it's like it's like um, an incredibly awkward. It's like Eli done. Roth in Inglorious Bastards, and like I don't like you in this movie. Yeah. Everybody yeah. else in this movie, but you. Um, but it's funny that you say you know, how the ending is, is changed and everything because it's the standard script that they teach you in film school, right? They're like, oh, this is the perfect Written script. by the guy who wrote books on creating yeah. the yeah, standard yeah, script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like literally, this is the, the, the canon, you know? Like, this is it. Don't look at any other screenplay. You'll be fine with Chinatown. And it's good, and it totally works. Well, except yeah. Tremors. I haven't seen Tremors. Uh, maybe during the do-over uh, you should watch of whatever year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that 90? 90. Yeah. 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 Uh, look at me. Don't look at me. I just watched Chinatown today. What I love about the podcast is that people, there are people who don't watch movies like before a certain year uh, and still participating in these and they're forced to watch these movies kind of like, like yourself, Jamie. So <laughs> I love That's that. why I'm doing this No, show. but I think it's so <laughs> awesome because it's like Chinatown would be the one old movie that I would show somebody to get into older movies. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like the, the, the marijuana of old movies, you know? <laughs> it's, it's old enough that it counts as old, but it, it's still not alien, you know, the way that some silent movies just you couldn't watch now without preparing yourself for it. I love Chinatown and... Giddies or Gids or whatever is uh, Giddies. Yeah. I know, I know, but I'm, <laughs> Gids. I think it's so badass. Gids. I mean, and and what I meant, what I meant by him being badass is that that's Jack Nicholson actually acting. You know, that's mm. at his best. I think you know. Whereas almost every movie after, well, not almost every, because there's a few others like Cuckoo's Nest and stuff that he was he stopped caring. You know, and he's good. He's so good at this. His movie. performance yeah. is like really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, even uh, something simple like him wearing that bandage on his nose. For the for the entirety of the movie, much, you know, yeah. I, I was trying to think of another actor that would that would do that. You see all these superhero movies now where they make the superheroes take off their masks so that the actor can get screen time. And here Jack was, you know, wearing this thing that yeah. you know contorted his face and and then performing the shit out of the out of the role, really. Oh, like something Norton. that should come across as comedic. Yeah, and, and, and it wasn't. Yeah. And, and I feel like if somebody was directing so, him now, it would be absolutely yeah. comedic. But it's be. part of, I mean, it's on another level, it's part of Giddy's humiliation. 
which we get before he does. Again, we like, we're sort of <laughs> yeah. keen into this. They're like, you are not coming out of this clean. This is, you've already been mutilated. Uh, <laughs> and we still have an hour and 10 minutes, so let's see where else you're going to go. But it's not, what, yeah, you're right. It's not one of those heroic things where, you, you know, like there's a perfect asymmetrical bruise on his face and he can then fight through. Right. Exactly. If, you, yeah. if you can't even follow up a simple lead at a reservoir where yeah. no one should be there, <laughs> you are a shitty detective <laughs> and you need to quit your job. And which, which is even yeah, worse. Have changed and this is why a sequel to Chinatown, The Two Jakes, is such a terrible movie because you wonder how the hell he survived this long. It was planned to be a trilogy originally, too. Yeah. It was the I third would, script. I would have liked program. to see where that went because it would, you know, like maybe he's the first plastic surgeon in the 50s yeah. and he's <laughs> terrible at it. But, you know, like at least it's an innovation. Well, that's a, uh, he was he must have been good at the what he was doing, which was catching guys cheating mm-hmm. on their yeah, wives. Right. So, so he's yeah, he's like a so that, he's that he, guy. he found his niche he's and, and, and he was host. in his comfort yeah. zone yeah. and this rocked him right out of it. I love, I love him. So he was good at yeah. yeah. You know what he puts to watch on the and yeah. I love that. I don't yeah. know. It's been stolen just, so many times. I know. I know. Can't do it anymore, really. But no digital watches. We're feeling pretty good about this film. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great oh, yeah. one. It's great. I can. I don't get tired of it. There. There. I mean, this is a fantastic year. Yeah. 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 First of all, we so really need to say yeah. that there's like we could go half an hour on each yeah. film. And, yeah. and, and I even made a list of like 15 films that could have been nominated for yeah. this year. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears really briefly. Sorry, Phil. We'll come back to your. We'll come back to your point. But I oh, wasn't gears. a good point. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to jump into Towering Inferno. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. jump right Jesus. into the inferno. Yeah. Get in there, man. That's good. You can fall right through, and then we're done. <laughs> I I have the funniest towering inferno story. Uh, growing up, I was it was on AMC, and I was home on a weekend night, and my dad just kind of saw that it was on. And he got really excited. I was like, "Why are you so excited to watch the towering inferno?" He's like, "Son, you're gonna watch this movie with me." You're going to see one of the stupidest films you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Dad, why would you want to do it? He's like, trust me, this is a good kind of stupid. (laughs) And man, that movie did not let me down in the good kind of stupid department. Uh, Do I I think it should have been nominated for Best Picture? Hell no. Never. Never in a trillion years. But I can see the appeal of it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of an embarrassing, like, last grasp of the old studio system as everyone who's voting for it clearly voting well, it's like, it took well, two studios to mash it together yeah, for sure right? yeah they're like this is what we can do more yeah. stars in the sky yeah. deeper love than you've ever felt <laughs> bigger thrills than a lifetime introduce them and then kill them exactly yes. yeah and it's sort of interesting the way it pairs up everything else which feels like even now so contemporary and yeah. interesting and challenging that this is just like so <laughs> Square. How many? Yeah. How oh many God! Yeah. Yeah. The sex scenes are behind project. closed doors. This is the first oh, time I watched it. I yeah. saw it in a theater. God help me. I've seen it a few times. It's well, I have. I own it on DVD. I have my little disaster film collection. Yeah. So. Oh, I've got the Blu-ray. I'm yeah. not proud. There were a few that year, right? There was, oh, there yeah, was yeah, yeah. one yeah. every yeah. month for the final three months of the yeah. year. It was Earthquake, <laughs> Airport 1975, and, and then this. this. Yeah. There was also this was the big holiday film. Titania or something like that. There's one about like a, a, a hijacking of a boat or something. Oh, Juggernauts. Though. Juggernauts. Juggernauts. Yeah. Juggernauts. Yeah. And that one's actually good. Juggernauts a good movie. Juggernauts yeah. is good. Anthony Hopkins action role. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I guess if you want to include the taking of Pelham One Two Three, yeah. you could sure. you could also right. throw so that in because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all kind of. Uh, but like Pelham One Two Three, two, three yeah. is the good disaster film yeah. from this year. Sure, if that's yeah. what you're going by that. Yeah, sure. Any movie that puts Walter Matthau and Jerry Stiller in a buddy team. 
is right on my side. And like Juggernaut yeah. isn't a disaster movie per se. It's more of a heist Hostage movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. Like I would I would put that up there if we were if we were counting that. But yeah. I mean, it's one of those. Towering like, Inferno is at best like the fourth or fifth best disaster film yeah. that came out that year. But it was the biggest. It was the biggest. It's the one. It's the one that got Paul. Mc- Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, and yeah. so it. Had and only taken, one of them is any good. Yeah, <laughs> and it had to be taken seriously as a result, which is this really fascinating anomaly. It's like, you know, what if you made? Oh, I'm trying to think of a terrible, like a, a, a relevant example, like a Roman Emmerich movie that yeah. got Bogart at yeah. that point in his career, like something that bad with someone that respected. Yeah, like you, if Daniel Day Lewis was in the Day After Tomorrow. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which I would. That would be. Oh, awesome. I'd be there in a second. I'd be there in a second. Yeah. These people are running from frost. They're running from frost. That's <laughs> <laughs> more Liam Neeson. I abandoned yeah, my yeah, child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I abandoned my boy in the New York Public Library, and there are wolves. I would watch that. Yeah. And we also, there we go. We get the connection to John Huston in Chinatown. Yes. Because that character, uh, yeah, no, it is an impression. Daniel Plain is, is, yeah. is the, the bastard love child of Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. <laughs> Uh, and John Huston, so the bad guy, the bad guy in this movie is Rags. Rags. and the bastards that would dare build a skyscraper, and yes. adulterers who yeah. are then immediately punished, and the sprinkler yeah. system yeah. that was not working on the eighty-first yeah. floor, yeah, 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 and yeah. the yeah. cement that was blocking the old exit. so many villains. Well, and OJ Simpson. It's a long movie. This is a long movie. Yeah, but eventually, that's true. He's a direction. He's a lurking villain. He set the fire to make himself look like a hero. He saved the cat. No one will suspect me now. <laughs> oh, and, and uh, Richard Chamberlain with the Billy Zane. Oh, Richard oh, Chamberlain God. was phenomenal. He's like the Titanic. <laughs> When he when he pulls everyone off that <laughs> yeah. that really oh, feeble looking attempt at yeah. uh, an escape, yeah, yeah. Well, there are some like amazing practical effects where people are actually on fire. Yeah. Just the reason to do the movie and some of the worst effects I've mm. ever seen. Yeah. In my it ages life. super bad. There was one bit I had to play a couple times where it was like a model of the building and someone jumped off and it was clearly like maybe a two inch paper. Oh, is it when she, yeah. <laughs> when she hits the wall. Oh yeah. man, so yeah. pathetic. But they underwear. lingered on yeah, it. They were yeah. like, "That's the money. We need that one." Yeah, it's the Wagner scene, which is the one scene. Where oh it's gonna be okay no it's one of those things where he, <laughs> he walks around a table and he <laughs> ran, <laughs> catches fire. I ran a ten second sixty yard dash yeah. or whatever he says right yeah, 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 yeah. I can do this I can do <laughs> this <laughs> but he's not even get close he hit a table and caught on fire immediately <laughs> that's, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. please get him halfway through the room <laughs> that was uh, Sterling Sillifan's script right yeah. so that's yeah. that's his and idea I mean, that clever scene is almost a lot. That seems almost a direct callback to trying to be the Poseidon Adventure, which was Ryan yeah. Allen's yeah, other yeah. big, yeah. Yeah. big disaster movie. At the time this was made, that was the fourth highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Derry was well. the second highest of that yeah. year. Yeah. 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 I, the I, second I, highest, but yeah, you know, yeah. I love what beat it. I know. I had no idea. It was Blazing Saddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Blazing That's Saddles. And, and the thing that I, I think is kind of funny is if you watch any old EPK stuff from... Uh, from Towering Inferno, they're all making it with the. Ex- they're they're very upfront that they want to make the highest grossing picture of For the sure. year. Yeah. Yeah. And they they came out in December with a lot of fanfare. They were beaten by a movie that came out in February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a comedy, a Mel yeah. Brooks film, <laughs> which I find. Uh, I guess you could say in that case, Towering Inferno was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, <laughs> but it's sort of. I great think there are a number of ways. You we've, can say yeah, that. we've made this movie. It's going to make all the money in the world. It's three hours long. Yeah. Oh, it's super <laughs> long. It can't do more than three shows a. day. Day. We can't make that much money. Like Blazing Saddles is what ninety two. It yeah. moves like a yeah, yeah, it just yeah. shoots right past you. You can get five shows in there, and this was at a time when theater space was literally like legitimately yeah. limited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of it, like every element of this film, is just hubris. Yeah. It just it piles upon itself. What well, it was the um, end of something? It was trying to recreate 
yeah, yeah. filmmaker well, yeah. was already dead. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, there were the Roadshow movies where length was, like, part of the style. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah. It would be an after and that's yeah. why you'd go. What about Charging the Newman, the the Newman and McQueen? Sure. Big rivalry there. Uh, uh, Newman as far as, like, getting extra scenes written. McQueen demanded that he have the same number of lines as Paul Newman, oh and the screenwriter God. got called in on his vacation to write precisely 22 new sentences yeah. <laughs> so they could have the same number of lines. And when I heard that, I was like, you should have cut 22 sentences <laughs> yeah. from McQueen's performance. Because the thing about McQueen is McQueen doesn't care. McQueen really does not care. Yeah. But the thing about Newman is, man, does he care. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he cares in so much as he wants to, I think he really wants to look like the best thing in a bad movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is what his performance really smacks of. It's like, man, this movie's going to suck. I'm going to act the hell out of this. Yeah. And no <laughs> one is going to blame me. Yeah, no yeah. one can blame me for anything this movie does wrong. Yeah. And that, that's the kind of performance that keeps coming back in movies like this. Like like Kurt Russell in Poseidon. Like, in the remake of it mm -hmm. or or like playing you know, Rudy Giuliani which is a terribly written role <laughs> yeah. but he sells it because exactly. he just doesn't care it's those, those kind of roles work. where it's just like I'm just gonna do my best to act through this and no one will ever blame me for this sucking yeah. or Ernest Borgnine in everything yes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> show up do the job and, and McQueen like you could just tell Somebody made him do it. It was mm. his agent. It was a divorce. Like something mm. was pushing him to make this kind of money for this kind of role, and he doesn't. Like he checked out. I think the script thing is like trying to get more lines written. It's yeah. just like, okay, fuck you. You go, go do something else. Make another racing movie, and we'll get. I, I don't know James Garner. Like somebody yeah. who's on, like who could also have handled. You that could have part. bumped up anyone from the supporting yeah, cast. Fortnite. Really. Why not? Yeah. He's around. He was Wagner. Awesome. Right. Wasn't McQueen supposed to be the Newman role? So I don't know if that's actually true. I've heard I that. Yeah, yeah that, he, that he's like, I'll take the fireman role. Yeah, like, yeah. But I love. I there's a there's a soft spot for me having like the all star cast of like everybody that's just <laughs> a famous person. But I hate it, and I love Astaire. Like. In life, but yeah. I hated the way they treated him. Like every time he'd look in the mirror, it's like it's parking such a back to like. Role. Yeah, yeah, it's so bad. It's so bad. So awkwardly dancing. It's there so was many, bad. many little things where you could shuffle yeah, yeah, around like, a couple times. And you're just yeah, like, the best dancer of dance. like all yeah. time is dancing awful yeah. in this movie. It's, it's hard just... to tell who gets the short end of the stick in that movie, whether it's a stare or OJ Simpson. Yeah, yeah. 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 The audience. The I think it's a stare is stupid. It's the worst. Yeah, that's just they throw water on Yeah, yeah. Throw water at a guy in a toupee. Yeah, especially Fred Stare. Yeah, some What about the PSA at the end? It almost felt like a PSA at the end, as as McQueen, you know, tells him. Only two hundred people lost their lives today. I bet you those the twenty-two sentences that were added. It's like you want me to beef up your role. Let's make a statement. You're gonna say the dumbest thing in the movie. I just feel like they could have what type of boots to wear. Been yeah, shown at the beginning of movies. Yeah. It could have been shown at the beginning of uh, any dedication to a tall building after that. Yeah. 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 What was going on? Were they built? Is that when they were starting to really build? Well, the World Trade Center had just been built. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, so it was originally set there, or one of the books is set there. The tower. Yeah. The, the glass yeah. tower. Yeah. It's based on two books. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is crazy. There's books. the tower and the glass inferno. Yeah. Two, two studios. Two studios. Two, studios, two books. And <laughs> there was a director specifically for all the action stuff as well. Yeah. It was Erwin Allen. Yeah. yeah, Erwin Allen specifically did all the yeah. uh, action directing. Which the, the other director got the worst books. job. Like, the best was watching all the, was the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff for this. And the guy who directs the, uh, the dramatic scenes can't even really say anything. He's just there with a pipe like, hmm, let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he ever does. He well, never even comments on his work. He's like, 
That was good. Faye Dunaway looked awesome in this. Though. She, she did. Like, she yeah. did. Yeah. I, I hate the way she looks in Chinatown with the yeah. insulting eyebrows. She's yeah. not like sexy to me. But in this one, she, this one, like, yeah. awesome. she does nothing. Her like, dress I mean, gives no, the best performance. Yeah, oh, yeah. I like her yeah. entrance too. Like she's sitting in the chair. She's yeah. yeah. That's a really good you know, entrance. But okay. yeah, I watched them in that order. I watched Chinatown, then I watched this one. And it was like Faye Dunaway's in both. But like really, she's. It could be. Yeah. It was the year of doubles. Because Mel Brooks had two movies. Altman had two. Uh, Three of the best picture nominees were from Paramount. That's true. That's a good year for them. Let's move to to another nominee then. Let's go to Lenny. What do you guys think? I like it a lot. I love Lenny. It's the first time I saw it. Never seen it before, and boy, oh boy. I think it's okay. Loved it. It's good. It's a bad year, though. 74, like, my heart is already in another movie, like, so I can't even look at any nominees right now. But Lenny, right? (laughs) All right. Right? Here's what I'll say about Lenny. I love Hoffman. Hoffman's awesome. Yeah, he's, and, he's so good. And I like I, until this movie, I hadn't seen his range really. I mean, I seen Straight Time, which is kind of like a badass Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. But the uh, but I, I I don't know. I never thought him to be this sort of edgy. Edgy is not a word that comes to me when I think of yeah. Dustin Hoffman. But it worked. You know, mm-hmm. I liked it. I liked the girl. I don't know who the girl was. Valerie Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Honey. Yeah. 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 But I love Bob Fosse movies. Like all that jazz and just feel like the same. Bob Fosse loved to photograph Honey. It felt. Oh yeah. 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 Every shot oh, that she was in. Oh, she looked amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but it, 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 he just really was doing her a lot of favors, and she, and she did great too. There's a scene where. She's being interviewed, you know, in, in yep. the side, and then at the end of it, I forget what she says, but she bites the chip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah she's yeah, talking yeah. about something really serious and then just bites this chip, yeah. and it's, it just pulls you. Uh, I thought that was great, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's got a weird parallel to Cabaret as well, where it's sort of like art paralleled to life and using it using it as a form of escape and, and sort of she shoots a lot of the stand-up almost like musical sequences in a really interesting way. Mm-hmm. I like it as well too just because um, Lenny Bruce is obviously an incredibly interesting figure in the history of stand-up yes. comedy but he's not hugely funny anymore. This stuff is very no. dated so the way that it contrasts his material with his life and with the times kind of puts it in enough context that you can at least appreciate what's going on, even if you're not necessarily going to be laughing hysterically. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, he was basically killed by the system. Yeah, totally. He was, you know, doing stuff that we take completely for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, like, you know, being treated like, uh, you know, Martin Luther King or for something. Sure. Yeah, I for forget, sure. I forget who said it, but someone had a really good quote. I think it was, like, Time Magazine. They said that his cause of death was too many cops. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought, yeah, that's uh, a pretty... Yeah. Pretty appropriate description of how he how yeah. he lived and died. Yeah, yeah. but it's also uh, the thing that I really like about uh, the way Fosse goes into it, and he does it with Cabaret too. Is that he does let you see that this is not, you know, like he's he's he might be a martyr, but he kind of does it to himself. Yeah. His his own like the, the way the act just turns into him reading his court transcripts, which is actually what happened. Yeah, yeah. you know, some movies would now, especially where you have this vogue of capturing ten years in a subject's life, so you can mm-hmm. go out on a high. Mm-hmm. He just we just go right down there with him. Yeah. We watch the we watch the drug abuse get worse. We watch the persecution get worse. We watch the paranoia get worse, and the sense that on some level through Hoffman's performance, he's getting off on it. Like this is he knows he's going to be a martyr. Although again, it's like you know you, there are other ways to leave your mark. You don't have to die, but that's his trajectory, and he he embraces it. And the movie lets us see that that's not necessarily the best thing to do. So it doesn't lionize him. It doesn't think, oh, look at this incredible man who died for nothing or something, or you get to decide. No, he's wasting his life. We get to see that. Yeah. He's doing valid work, but the cost is preposterous. Yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah, the complete opposite of what we think of as a biopic being mm-hmm. and what you'd want it to be ideally, but it so rarely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I... 
I, I, that's kind of leads into why I think the movie's just okay. What you got? I think it is kind of the standard biopic in a lot of ways. And the reason is not so much like the content of the movie or how it's being made or nothing against Hoffman or even Fosse, who I think is doing an interesting change of pace mm-hmm. here that uh, I, I think shows him outside of his comfort zone and kind of shows why he's such a great director. Mm. I think the problem with Lenny is just timing. I think this is a film that, if I had seen it then, Lenny Bruce would be so fresh in my mind from before that, mm-hmm. that I would look at this and be like, I'm deathly afraid this movie is not telling me anything I don't already know. Mm-hmm. We talk about how it just it does a good job of recreating the act, and it shows it that cuts in with his personal life, but I never really get a sense that I'm not getting anything that I couldn't have looked up in an encyclopedia or a news article or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think... Oddly enough, it's it's a movie that's almost too timely mm. in, in comparison to the rest of them. I'm not saying it's the worst of these picks. Yeah. Um, I, and I think there were much better movies that year that could have taken this slot. But it's it's just too of the moment, I think, and too rigidly controlled to try to stick to the story. It's yeah. almost too faithful. I don't know. I find it such a cynical portrayal of him because I think at that point... Well, I was kind of lionized, and the movie kind of put it in perspective in a way that, as yeah, Norm yeah. saying, I think is appropriate. Sort of saying, yeah, he did all this, but at what cost? And and who is this guy? Kind of a shithead, as far as I can tell. I mean, and, biopics at the time were stuff like Funny Girl. Yeah, no, that's true. Know, like that is ostrously sanitizing and, and and glorifying and glamorizing everything. I th- I, I think. For 1974, as a biopic goes, what Fosse does within the strictures of what biopics were, I think is really interesting. I mean, uh, yes, it isn't anything more than... Yeah. It mm-hmm. doesn't break the genre, but, right. but it like it works for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and I mean, that's really just me putting it in comparison to everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, 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 that's fair. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's a good movie in a good year. Um, I, I'd seen it twice. I watched it again for this, but I saw it originally maybe about five or six years ago for the first time. And even then, I was just kind of like, yeah, that's that's okay. That's another biopic. It's very well done. I can't really take anything away from it. I just didn't really... I don't really feel like it went the extra mile. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always curious, uh, you know, about the latency effect, right? Like, right. you know, um, what people bring when they watch it fresh versus what they're bringing, you know, when, when they've watched it 20 years ago or 10 years ago sure. or they're rewatching it or whatever. I think that stuff is really interesting. And if you think about Lenny Bruce, uh, that's where I'll agree with you. Uh I think we we knew most of what was in it. I I did I did think he was presented as, you know, a, a horrible person. Specifically, that scene where he's just berating, um, where he's berating Honey after the threesome. And oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, but that, in that's, a way, that's I think... such a terrifying scene. And it come, coming right after the threesome scene, where when Fosse's shooting it, there's no sound. Mm-hmm. How disturbing that scene was. Mm-hmm. Um, and just him staring. Yeah, there's a lot of staring. Yeah. I thought I thought there was something wrong with my my sound on my TV. I actually got up and I you know messed <laughs> with it for a moment and then and then realized like whoa wait a minute this is supposed to be having this profound effect on me and it really did. It was Great. just all you could do was stare at these images that were you know erotic and and awesome um, <laughs> and deeply wrong. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, like you and know Bob Fosse's the master of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. deeply wrong, yeah. creepy. Yeah, I think, Deeply I think wrong, it, creepy yeah. erotica. I am enjoying <laughs> this for the role, dear God. Yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah, bad yeah. person. I'm, but yeah, like you have yeah. to. You're, like he makes. Oh man, the idea of like 500 people in a room suddenly questioning themselves yeah, watching yeah, yeah. that movie just kind of starting to shift. Because I've seen all that jazz in a theater, and the erotica sequence 
freaks people out. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. And it's because on some level it's incredibly dated and cheesy, and it really is. Yeah. Uh, and it's an, a really clumsy way of a filmmaker trying to show you how cutting edge he is. He just, he, he, like, had culture progressed along that line, he would have looked like a visionary, but instead it's like, oh, yeah, that's cats in five years. Like, just, <laughs> that's what that is. That's, that's that yeah. thing. Yeah. But watching it, watching it with an audience now, it's just like you can feel people kind of try to lean into it, either for, um, for the sexy part or for the <laughs> cultural relevance part, and just like figure out where this is going. And when it happens in Lenny, it's like being throttled. Um, like that's how it's grabbed, yeah. yeah. I, I, There's one the, thing about Lenny that I want I have to give it credit for and I think is the biggest compliment that I could pay towards it. I think this is how Lenny Bruce would have wanted his life to have shown up on film. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, even though he looks like a complete shit, we've proven throughout his career that he's not afraid of looking like a shit on stage or exactly like he wanted to become a martyr. And this is the kind of film that'd be like Yep, this is you. And I think of Lenny Bruce at scene and be like, "Yep, that's me." Absolutely. I think he would have wanted the film to be called Cocksucker, though. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the poster <laughs> is his finger sticking out of his zipper, yeah. which I love, yeah. and his mom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and and Fosse and him were friends, and I think that mm. was deliberately what he was trying to make was sort of this is sort of. And I think in a weird way, it's probably more fondly remembered than Lenny Bruce is. Um, yeah, I well, think, the I think, I think so. you're totally yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't give you all the material that didn't last. No. Even in, even in 74, some of his stuff was dating. Yeah. And Fosse left out the stuff that was most, you know, clunky. Hoffman yeah. is a more me- memorable Lenny Bruce than Lenny yeah. Bruce yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting image, you know. Well, it's funny. I went to performance school. I went, I went to the Humber School of Comedy, and, you know, you, you go through a period where everybody's talking about their favorite comedians and comedians that matter. And people would throw his name out in a conversation – um, just to throw his name out, yeah. but but nobody had ever listened to a record. Yeah. Uh, and if they had listened to a record, and you could get them one on one over drinks, they would say, "Eh, you yeah." Carlin, yeah. Carlin just but the great. Carlin, that's the problem. It's Carlin and Pryor together. Pryor they come out immediately. They're inspired by him. They come out immediately after, and they bring a different scope to everything he did. And they were just starting to to really in seventy four for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I. Don't know. I've never read anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this movie helped in some way. Sort of probably got the way to the like the Bruce legacy, but they were already fairly big. All that album's going to. That's true. Yeah. Well, that's they couldn't point. have existed without Lenny Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Lenny Bruce no, 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 sort no. of kicked if the you door look at open. Because you can see their work before him. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. embarrassing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, in a lot of ways, Lenny Bruce was more performance art than he was stand up. For sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Sure. Reading Velvet Underground. Not many people bought a Velvet Underground record, but everybody who did. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like Lenny Bruce with comedy. People respect the performance of Lenny like Bruce more than they do his yeah. actual sets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They appreciate the craft more than they appreciate what he was actually yeah. saying. And he represents something yeah. that he always will and and that's sort of more his legacy than anything else. I want to sure. jump off of craft and uh, and the next two films that we have to talk about are both Francis Ford Coppola films. Yeah. Uh, so talk, talking, <laughs> talking about craft, we'll start with the conversation. <clears throat> Again, Never saw it Same prior to this. That's hilarious. I want to provide context here. Yeah. No, no. What was the, main, the main reason I'm doing this show is um, I do a lot of training. And when we do training, we always you know, throw out a random fact. And uh, one of the things that somebody brought up at a training that I was doing was they had seen every movie that had ever been nominated for Best Picture. And I was like, holy shit, I have so not seen every picture <laughs> that has been nominated for Best Picture. And I wanted to get in on that and I thought what better way to do that than invite people over with microphones and talk about them 
<laughs> so I can get the context. So I can, rather than reading a textbook, I get to listen to people talk about these great films. This was a great film. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. And this I've been, was a I'm great like you. Film. I've been. I. I. Well, I don't know if you've been meaning to watch, but this is on my been on my list for ages. <clears throat> and thanks for doing the show because it pushed me to finally watch it. Same with Lenny. It'd been on my list yeah. for ages, and I'd never seen it. And so I, those are the only two films I hadn't seen. The other ones I'd seen many, many times. But so what yeah, do you think? So, um, I really enjoyed it. It's a little um, Coppola-esque because I find him a little bit clumsy <laughs> with his filmmaking sometimes. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was—it is a product of its time, but it is still timely at the same time. Like, but it's, I think I also enjoyed the, uh, the 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 technology shots that are supposed to be like, "Ooh, look at this piece of machinery!" And it's like <laughs> forty years old, and thus it's like you know. You, <laughs> It's amazing, yeah, but you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I, 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 I love conspiracy, uh, paranoia, thriller type things. So Hackman is, and he's he's great. In he's amazing. spectacular, mm-hmm. and his, his character is very really interesting. All the aside from Tower Inferno, all the movies kind of his characters are emblematic of that kind of seventies hero who's like not a hero in a straight. Yeah, like all four of these movies are about very unheroic, kind of terrible people yeah. who, fucked, but, up, who yeah. fucked up in the past. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's screwed up, and we're just going to watch them screw up again, bigger than it, badder than ever before. And uh, there's something, yeah, kind of fascinating about that in a way that not only could that come out then, they could be successful, and they could be up in this situation. Uh, it's in this situation for Oscars. May as well yeah. just say it. Um, and, yeah. yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think uh, Gene Hackman's character in the conversation is one of the more fascinating examples of that because he's just such a closed book like you know in a movie your protagonist should be someone you're con- connecting to and wanting to follow and yeah. at every stage of the game it's like going out of its way to make you never quite understand who this guy is to doubt him not like him and I find that incredibly fascinating well, it works really well yeah that's why I love the film so much and I think it's probably it, it, it might I never really gave much thought into how it fits into the conspiracy thriller surveillance thriller canon but it's definitely near the top absolutely it, it, yeah. without question and I think a lot of that is credit to how Coppola and uh, and Hackman are working together in tandem uh, one of the things I love about this movie is that it, it is a thriller but it's also very heartbreaking to mm. watch because Hackman's character is someone that has spent his entire life being really cold, really distant, has to stay on the outside of everything, not getting involved, not caring. And this is about the movie. It, it, it's a pretty classical story about the guy who does that, but eventually has to learn to grow a conscience. Mm. And I find this to be one of the more fascinating examples of one of those films where a shithead eventually starts to have to learn how to give a shit. Yeah, yeah, right, and right, right. I think a lot of that is credit to Hackman. I'm not taking anything away from the story or from Coppola. I mean, it's. I guess you could say it's a B-grade Coppola film uh, in a lot of ways, but I mean... Well, I mean, in the 70s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the anomaly <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, of his filmmaking career. Uh, and Of the four masterpieces, this yeah. is the least this masterpiece. The right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah, yeah. a masterpiece. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a masterpiece of a genre film, mm. uh, yeah. which I find to be fascinating, and I love that it's here. I think there was a good. Re- it won the uh, it won the Palm um, that yeah. year. It's so good. I'm glad it exists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did and the screenplay <laughs> win too, uh, or was it just um, editing? Not an Oscar. Editing. editing. Walter Merchant House. Yeah. Yep. Deserving uh, so. You know, I, I love that this movie exists because it's the same year as this mega blockbuster. Right after another mega blockbuster, he's like, "I'll do this other, yeah. you know, movie for you if I yeah. get to do what I want," which is like the dream, right? You know, and, yeah. and it's like his traffic to the Aaron Brockovich, right? right? And yeah, um, and and I can't dis- distinguish it from the filmmaking, right? So like, but well, we talk about the story, and that's what I first saw. 
when the, the reason they go back is the fact that it exists, they ran out of money, they changed the ending and the editing, um, that the technology is such a prominent character in the movie, but also, you know, the zoom lens wasn't used that way originally, you know, until in the 70s, you know, like that, the beginning where it sort of zooms in on the first Oh, that was a great shot. Yeah. Union Square yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, his raincoat, that's like this whole thing about, like, you can it's see... It's one of those ones that you carry a little... Plastic yeah, bags, yeah, like, yeah. like every, everything about this movie yeah, is so yeah. fetishistic about this movie, but the fact that it exists is really the reason yeah. that I dig it, man. Oh, I love it. It's yeah. it's uh, it's just such a it's such a beautiful, methodical, careful film about making mistakes, yeah, like about missing yeah. the obvious yeah. thing, about and and just the idea that you would make a movie where the entire film is predicated. Spoiler alert, I suppose, uh, on someone not quite listening right. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. he hears yeah. it, yeah. he doesn't get it, and that just the idea that. Of course, this is why he had to make Godfather Two. Paramount was like, "No, you, no, you want money for this? No, how do you pitch it? You have to see it. You have to make that movie to get people to understand what you're trying to say, and then what the larger statement is about. And also, you know, like this is, of course, the heart of Watergate is happening mm. all around them. Like the other, like, yeah. the other big conspiracy movie that year was The Parallax View. Right. So you've got that, this Chinatown, all films about noble-ish investigators just completely getting something wrong or being misled by powerful interests. I mean, that's. It's that's America at that moment, and to see a film that isn't about any of that and it is all about that at the same time. So forty years later, it still holds up as a completely character-driven piece of movie making, rather than self-reflexive political commentary. And they're like the scenes in. Uh, I think about something like Good Night and Good Luck, where you can watch it and think, oh, that's Clooney responding to the Iraq War and, and the way the Bush administration pressured journalists, or it's a biopic about Edward R. Murrow making a really brave stand. They work either way, and you can watch one without the knowledge of the other. Right. Yeah. Although, if you watch it without knowledge of Murrow, you'll just see a new story forming. Right. Uh, the conversation is really not about Watergate in as much as anything. It's about anxiety about surveillance, and that's utterly relevant, to the point where, you know, like, Gene Hackman turns up in Enemy of the State and yes. they use yeah. his ID photo yeah. Yeah. from yeah. the conversation. Yeah. So and you're just like, ah, Harry's still out there. Of course he is. Mm. And, you know, like, come on, Tony Scott, like, make your own character. Right, make right, your right. own movie. <laughs> but it's like, I, there's this moment of like, oh, that's adorable. And then you realize it makes absolutely no sense within the movie and it's just a stupid concept. But How the fact, dare that, you? I, well, but the fact <laughs> that I have that love for the conversation, right? <laughs> you want it to work. I, I don't even know why I love it, but this is my favorite of the five films that's that I watched. Movie. That I watched yeah, for this. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting that it holds up. I, I was wondering how it would be approached by somebody who hasn't seen it before. Because I'm like trying to think of it from your perspective. I'm like, oh, it's not gonna. It's not pretty looking. It's the technology is clunky. Like in the tower in the towering inferno, where you're like the headphones on the yeah, the headphones and all that. But like. I think you can watch the, the conversation right now and I think of all the movies on this list this is the one movie that friends of mine who are casual movie fans always find a way to come around to it seems like every year there are more people that know about this movie and, and see wow. it and they're like wow what'd you think of that I really loved it and I think it's I think that really stands to how timeless this movie can be i mean this could be a movie that was made today for sure with the same technology and make it a period piece and it would be just as good if or you that yeah, it's called the lives of others lives yeah of exactly yeah, but it's not that. that's not as good of a movie <laughs> no, definitely not um but the other thing that i really love about uh the conversation is oh god i forgot what i was gonna say um <laughs> no it's uh did you think of it like blow up did you think no, 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 no. Well, I mean, a, there is something interesting to be said about how this film can sort of go one better than all of the other surveillance films of the era. And I think there's 
there's a lot more to unpack with the conversation yeah. on on a subtextual level, like like Norm oh, yeah, was saying. So. And there's a lot that you can sort of draw on from history. Is it like blow out a lot? I haven't seen blow out. Well, blow out <laughs> is like the conversation. Yeah, yeah. It, very. It kind of like is. Palma going, oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. no, that's exactly which is a remake what that of movie. Blow the blow up, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, which was done in 68? 67. Yeah, it's one of those things where yeah, I mean, with De Palma, it's always a remake of something. Like, yeah, it's always riffing on something, yeah. but the conversation stands apart in a way that. Yes. Yeah, I don't think blood yeah, pickles. So. Yeah. Um, I would, yeah, I just, I have this game that I play these days because there's this Canadian horror film that I think I could make a brilliant uh, case for. I don't think I could do it myself, but I think a Mumblecore <laughs> remake of Scanners would be like the best thing because the movie is so limited and so minimal that the only way to do justice to it is by keeping it small. If you're going to, re- like, I don't think it should be remade, but if you're going <laughs> to do one, that's the one that that genre would fit. So you've uh, been sort of getting kind con- consumed with, well, what else could work like that? And the, the conversation absolutely does because it's something you have to strip down to emotions and motivation. Yeah. And that's how that genre works. And the conversation is already there. Like, there's nothing in this movie that is hard to conceive of or impossible to imagine. The idea that maybe your phone can ring and then you you pick it up and it becomes a live microphone, that's not hard to swallow. No, I mean, they, they still yeah. talk. You do no, it with cell phones. Everyone's yeah, listening your laptop to you. We're camera. being recorded right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, the question is how many of, the, of our devices are recording us. Right. right. <laughs> but you could do it and not really change very much, and it could still have the same. I would hope it had the same emotional impact. If oh, you get the right actors. I think, but I, I think I about think so. Giovanni Ribisi in a plastic coat. He could do this. Like, there's yeah. no reason this movie could not happen now, mm. and and for a minimal budget. I mean, you, the the yeah, you know, like obviously the gimmick doesn't work if you're doing Towering Inferno sure. or something. But but <laughs> the idea of the of the themes and the story playing out at at uh, a micro budget always says to me that, yeah, there's something here that is bigger than the movie you're watching. Yeah. And, and it's what you engage with while yeah. you watch it. This and is absolutely I, a movie I would show people if, if they said, you know, you, you, you miss the context. You miss, mm-hmm. you miss it if you didn't see it at the time of. Uh, I, would, I would slap this movie down and say, yeah. watch it right now because I think you're right. Like, the themes are there. The tone is it, you would get the same feeling that you got in a movie theater in 1974, or pretty close to it. Oh, thank you. I, I remember what I was going to say. That sorry before before I forget it again. Uh, I, no, I was going to say that this is a good companion piece to something like Chinatown in terms of mm. what takes place that year, because Chinatown, yeah. as we were discussing, is a film about someone who's bad at their job screwing up. And the conversation is about someone who's really good at their job screwing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but who had screwed up in the past, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I, I find that to be an interesting sort of thing, uh, yeah. to pair those two movies up yeah, against absolutely. one another. And uh, they're, they're such different movies, too. Yeah. <laughs> the conversation is a lot... It's weird. Tonally, Chinatown might be a little bit darker and more disturbing than the conversation is. Yeah, because it's personal. Yeah, but the conversation is the grittier movie. Yeah, I think the plot points hit almost at the exact same time, right up to the lovemaking scene. No, it's (laughs) kind of true. It'd be interesting to pair the two up if you watch them immediately one after the other. Yeah, but they're both reactions to the same thing. Yeah, that's that's what interests me. Like, this is what people. This is what people were obsessing about enough to get a movie made. Different coasts. The stuff from the yeah. moment he checks, in, <laughs> the the moment he checks yeah. into the hotel, though, is so nightmarish, gripping to me. Yeah, uh, like yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. Oh, the toilet. Like I, is that the toilet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the whole. You know, sequence. I thought it was a dream sequence. It, oh when the man! Starts back in, like, <laughs> yeah, the toilet. Yeah, yeah. like, wrapped up in that. That's like, so yeah. good. Yeah. That's and David Lynch right there. He's, yeah, he's inventing Lynch for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of the great sound design movies of all time, which is clearly a massive influence on Lynch. And yeah, and I think, and I think that. 
is like inseparable from it. I think if it doesn't have Merch's soundtrack on it, it's not the same movie. Because sure, yeah. so much of it is in contrast to what you see, so much of it is changing things afterwards. Yeah, and I think it's a great movie that you could watch five times and get five completely different things out of it. Yeah. Sure. I think so. And calls on him to release a movie with that kind of sound design in 1974 when there was no sound design. Right. Like when you've got a mono speaker yeah. and it probably shorts out 20 minutes into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did it come out in, in comparison with the next one we'll talk about? Like, what, what Conversation was first. He, conversation was oh, yeah, first. Yeah, because Conversation came out in, in Cannes yeah. and then he was like at that time finishing Godfather 2. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, because yeah. he basically left the entire post production to Walter Merch. Yeah. So he could do Godfather 2. And Walter Merch is like the second author oh, of that, that movie. Yeah. yeah. He's like my right. hero. Yeah, so let's, let's dive into Godfather 2. And I'll, I'll preface this by saying there's been a lot said, written, discussed <laughs> about Godfather Part 2. Mm. I don't know how much more we'll bring. Yeah. So I, I don't know what else we need to say about this, you know, really, really, really great yeah. film. Yeah. But. I do welcome you to <laughs> yeah. to say some things, of course, <laughs> or that would be pointless. Yeah. I, 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 was just gonna, I have some. I don't know if this has been discussed, but I think watching it again, and uh, I'll preface this by saying that I think the first time I saw the Godfather films was as the TV version, the Godfather saga, where they edited it together chronologically, oh, really? mm-hmm. uh, which was amazing to watch. Uh, and that's so when I watch them now, I still have to like, well, isn't that in the other one? And then like, I'm, I'm like. I'm, getting myself all muddled up but so watching this one I realized why not cut it into two different films do the Vito Carleone portion and then make that Godfather 2 and then Godfather Part 3 be the 1959 stuff and fuck Godfather 3 is that yeah I was just, gonna and say just change that. the ending so that his kid dies instead of the Godfather 3 so then you get the full circle thing right like the, yeah. it's all your family's always going to get fucked yeah but you need uh, and, you need the contrast you need them to play off each other yeah. you need to watch Vito compromise himself as Michael compromises himself because otherwise you would spend you know 90 minutes with Vito and then it's just like oh well did you never talk to your dad? Like, yeah. Did you yeah. not realize? And then, because yeah. the, the great revelation here is, no, you never did. Yeah. Like, he didn't have that foreknowledge. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't know about the family. Well, and they're both the same age, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The same yeah. age, doing the same things, but one's obviously better than the other one. And <laughs> it, it's a different trajectory. One's going up, you know, in their shining star of gangsterism, and the other one's going down. And I can't, I'm going to wait till you, are you done? No, I'm done, yeah. I right. just, like, I'm going to start by saying this is the best, this is my favorite movie of all time. So this is like, Difficult for me to, you know, tone <laughs> yeah. down. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I hated it when I first watched it. Really? Yeah. Really? I was like, I, this I is fucking like... confusing. I was like in great time. Okay. I was like, this is confusing. And I had, I watched The Godfather's backwards. Like, I saw the three first, which oh. is why I don't hate it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> this is great, this movie. And look, who's that young guy? Is that supposed to be Al Pacino? You know, in the flashbacks <laughs> in the third one? Anyway, so I saw the first one. I was like, awesome, whatever. Right? And the second one was confusing, whatever. And I kept coming back to it. And oh my God, now it's just... And now that I have a son, this whole family thing of like, what's he going to be like when he's my age? And, you know, living in this... And the cast is just killer. Fredo, like, is yeah. the best actor that died too soon, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, was, I found the plot confusing because I, what did Hyman Roth do? Like, who shot the window? You know, but when you watch it over and over and it's just... You know, it's beautiful. The music works, the acting works, the plot works. Did you I watch can't... it again for this? Yeah. It's so, so good. I love this. You one. didn't need an excuse, but you took it anyway and watched yeah. it again. Yeah. I'll watch this. I mean, I didn't watch the whole thing. Sure. You know what's killer? Is the last scene. Brando didn't want to come back, and yeah. so Coppola stuck with this reunion scene, and so he's, he keeps Michael in the in the kitchen or in the in the dining room while everybody else goes and sings happy birthday to get like mm. that's the best ending there could be because it's so related to yeah no thematically it's, yeah. it's amazing you'll never live up to your father you've already exactly like, you can't get him back it's it's incredible and that I think that's why you need to experience them 
uh, uh, juxtaposed together. But oh man, yeah, I'm actually now I'm pissed at myself. There was a, a press screening of the restored 4K version yeah. uh, Thursday morning. I couldn't go because oh. it was three and a half hours long, and there yeah. was a day, and I, I had stuff like against it. I'm mad at myself. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, I, I it is the same restoration that's on the Blu-ray. So, right. at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree that I, I, I love them separate, and I think Godfather Two, one of the reasons why it's like the greatest sequel ever, is I think it makes the original one better by virtue of the fact it exists. Because I think the original one oh, is yeah. obviously a masterpiece, but it is kind of pulpy and like a perfectly executed bit of entertainment. What elevates it is how Coppola shoots it and the thematic. Mm. I, I yeah. But what I like about the second one is it's like the subtext of the first one becomes the text of the second. Yeah, one. and the way that they play out, the way that it's sort of the prequel sequel aspect, the way they play off each other, it sort of deepens what you know from the first one, takes your memories from it, of all those yeah. indelible scenes yeah. that are burning your mind forever, plays with them, toys with them. I, I always, I think one of the most powerful sequences of all movies is after De Niro does the assassination and then he goes and he picks up the boy and they play the theme song and it's just oh, yeah. so heartbreaking and devastating yeah. and and the stuff with the oranges like the business totally that, right. just the totally. bits of business that but, are but, seeded throughout the film but that moment where they play the score on the, like that only works because you've seen the first one you know the context you know we're going to go back to, uh, to to Michael in present day and see what a tragic state that is mm-hmm. and I think yeah I think if you put it chronologically that's still a powerful moment just because that whole assassination sequence is so extraordinary but I think you need like whatever four and a half hours or whatever it takes to get to that moment for it to hit and I think that's yeah I just think it's yeah I think The Godfather would always be a classic movie I think the reason why people always talk about it or the second as being one of the best ever made is because of the second one and yeah, how it yeah. sort of deepens and expands exactly I You're think right. the first film is an excellent film <laughs> first film is great the second film is not only a better excellent film but it's also an epic this is such a sprawling mm-hmm. movie just the ambition that it takes to even even conceive of a storyline like this that's this fractured and going back and forth. And I was never—I'll admit—I was never really a fan of the the chronological cut because I think it kind of—I think it does dampen the impact of what the second film in the second film specifically is trying to do, well, which also, is trying to lend context to the first film. And mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't treat the, like most sequels, it doesn't treat the audience like an idiot that they have to remind them of everything right. that happened yeah. in the first film because it's the Godfather. You yeah. should know what happened in yeah. the first film. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's written for the contrast. Like you were saying, right, how you're not exactly. sure what happened in Cuba. I think if you put it chronologically, that's a major problem because yeah. like that last yeah. hour made no sense. Yeah. But in this, it doesn't. It's not. No, about like, I that. get it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh no, 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 no. I, wasn't. <laughs> I was just. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> but it almost wouldn't matter because it's all about the themes, right? It's exactly. About seeing yeah. him. Well, the first one, he's building up his family, and the second one, you know, Kay had an abortion. Like his, you know, Michael's family's falling apart, yeah. right? And yeah. it's just. Beautiful. Oh, it's all about the grudges. It's about the history. Like yeah. it's about mm-hmm. the shit you carry with you, yeah. which is why it's universal. Which is why everybody who's ever had a family understands what's going on even if they don't know the first thing about heroin trafficking destroying the, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> the mob in, in uh, Brooklyn. But it's, it's oh man, it's so good. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I, I had this, I have this joke that I cannot land. I've been trying for, for like years now <laughs> to say that the Fast and Furious movies are trying to do what the Godfather movies do by playing with chronology and giving you characters that you can <laughs> think, template yeah. and make, it does, it's not funny, it's sad. Right. That's the problem. <laughs> it's just like the joke is yeah, that they're, that the joke is that the Fast and Furious movies are the ones doing yeah, it. Yeah, well sadly that's the legacy of Godfather 2 now. Yeah. Is the yeah. Fast and the Furious movies. That's the thing that makes yeah. no sense at all. Wait, yeah. we're talking about the sequels. Or the later sequels are better than the original. No, no, 
well, the, the idea the, of structuring and, and layering and yeah. the idea that like there's a guy who died in the third one who oh, yeah, finally dies at the end of yeah, yeah. 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 who comes <laughs> back and now this movie's gonna take this next yeah. movie's gonna take place yeah. after the third three movie. more movies to get to the end yeah. of Tokyo Drift yeah. <laughs> and it's just like yeah that's not what Michael Corleone does <laughs> <laughs> that's not why this happened that's a good punchline that's right Michael Corleone died for the yeah thanks guys workshop but no it is it is. There are so few movies that, like, first of all, I'm going to make the sequel how I want to make it. I'm going to make an hour in Italian with subtitles. I'm going to cast a guy nobody knows to replace Marlon Brando's most iconic performance ever. And he's going to be better than Brando. He's not going to be as hammy. Uh, I'm going to just pretend James Caan wasn't a big deal of the first, like, yeah. like he's dead. Screw it. We're going to keep moving. We're going to find somebody else more charismatic. Oh, there's no one more charismatic. Oh, there's his dad. Like the, the way it knits itself together to find the story um, on the on the page, like even before they shot it, just the, the solutions to all these questions are how do you follow up the Godfather? And every answer he came up with was right. Yeah. There are no wrong moves. The, the villains ah. that got killed in the first <laughs> one, here's some new ones. You'll like them too. Like just everything works. It's incredible. And there, has there been a director that had like a three year period? Like we just talked about conversations, and you guys are talking about Godfather, Cronenberg, Soderbergh. I mean the Bergs. That's a that's Bergs. a that's a three year period though. That is like holy fuck. Well, you can extend well, it to an apocalypse, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. whole yeah. decade. Yeah. I mean, a Wood from the Heart is the movie he wanted to make. Yeah, I don't know that it's a masterpiece. I, I'm pretty sure it's not, but <laughs> but it is what he wanted to do. It's a it's an incredible experiment. It just doesn't. He well, just doesn't land it. I well, think he, it's I think it's just. A, a person in the perfect time and place that mm. he wanted to do. Like I think it's similar to like say, I think George A. Romero has the same yeah. similar trajectory from the sixties and seventies. He's yeah. kind of flawed. Sure. After that, lost. Yeah. And I think it's just yeah, time and place. It's just these were guys who, in a weird way, kind of did the same thing, which fusing the American genre movie with the European. Art well, you film. can even say the same about Lucas in that decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Couldn't put a foot wrong until yeah. directors with glasses and beards. Yeah, <laughs> it was the time. Oh, like, yeah. It was yeah. the time. Well, Spielberg's got 1941, so that throws you the curve. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say Spielberg, and then I remembered 1941. <laughs> uh, seeing like, that nah, movie in the theater, though, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't think 1941's a bad movie. No, and that's also like and it's also like one of the great insane director movies. Like, yeah. Like, like, and candy. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Like, how much money is this yeah. really going to cost? Yeah. 19, 1941 <laughs> is, is Spielberg's towering inferno. It's yeah. just like everyone <laughs> heaped stuff on him. No, 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 no. You need it. Do this. You, what do you, what else can we get you? Yeah. Well, I'd like um, also maybe Steve McQueen. Sure, put him in a fireman's hat. <laughs> what about this? I think I would like some special effects. Okay, Mr. Allen, you made the Poseidon Adventure. Here yeah. you go. Yeah. What else do you want? But I also, and I, but I also think there's something interesting where like what he was going for was to try and basically do what the Zucker brothers then do. That's years true. later. He was trying to. He, he Lenny Bruce did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he knew there was a certain there was something to ma that Mad Magazine anarchy that could work in movies. Mm. He just had no fucking clue how to do it. And hiring the last twenty minutes of Animal House. Yeah, exactly. Made for two and a half hours. Exactly. Yeah. He and, produced Gremlins, though, right? Oh yes, yeah, but that was Dante. That's eight, giving it to somebody who yeah. knows how to do yeah. that. Yeah, stuff, yeah so. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he smartened up by that. But, yeah, yeah. but also, if, you know, if Dante had done in 1941, you'd have an amazing. But, but isn't it interesting <laughs> that <laughs> it, it's, isn't interesting that like Spielberg, once you give him, you know, carte blanche in this instance, he mm -hmm. totally just fucks it up. Mm -hmm. And then this is what Godfather Two was. It's like here's like yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want. No, it's the one. And he does this movie that's unlike almost any other movie before. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. never made, right? There's nothing quite and like he, he was given that opportunity again with, with One for the Heart and later in his career, especially now. I don't see anyone no. second-guessing anything that he's doing, <laughs> or maybe his movies wouldn't be this terrible. Right. But he's I mean, well. He's absolutely doing what he wants to do now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's, he did what he wanted with this one, but you got to remember, it's still a major studio production. Someone had to fight him on a few things. Like, right. Whether they were minor or not, they probably had faith that he would be able to work through anything. It's I, just, Robert Edwards was doing a lot of coke at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much control yeah. he really had. Yeah, and he, he was banned from the set, too. And it's yeah. also, ironically, a movie he didn't want to make. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, this was supposed to be the commercial movie so I can make the conversation. Right, right. And then he just ends up being so in the zone that even when he's trying to do one for them, it's really yeah. one for him. No, yeah. if you watch Godfather 3, you can see why the instincts don't always work. Like, he's... like Oh, but the Godfather always needed a helicopter machine gun sequence. That was I'm what not was missing in yeah. I'm not yeah. disagreeing. And a dead boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, uh, it's not that bad. Just it, is. Totally not that it is. It is. The problem with the Godfather 3 is that it has absolutely nowhere to go after 2. Like two the problem is... It's not a bad movie. It's a movie that has no reason to exist. Yeah, That's the problem. But within its universe, though, that silent scream at the end is amazing. I guess, but we don't... We don't... It's such a unnecessary movie. Yeah. Like, I, I don't hate it. I don't. It's just it. so unnecessary. Yeah, it, well, it's it also is. comparing it to it's, like, better-looking older brother. You know, you know, like, it's the Godfather and Godfather. And that's the problem. It's, Those two movies the are, are yeah, like it's the Fredo. Fredo. Yeah, yeah. Fredo. And it's yeah. also... What happened to Fredo? Fredo's not around for three. Yeah. You don't need it. And it's also everything they're trying to communicate in part three is just that last shot of Martin yes. Leone and the yeah. Witch of Godfather 2. It's all there in one yeah. go. Why even... Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't need three hours and Andy Garcia to do it again. No, it's just one of those I want to reel it in and go around the table and, and hear, I have a good idea of one movie that's going to be pulled from everyone's ballot, but uh, I want to go around the table and hear, uh, if, if you guys made the ballot, what would be what would you call from the list and what would you add to the list? And I mean, you can throw in why as well. Yeah, it's tricky. Like, we'll start over here with you. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. Well, i definitely take, um, I leave everything except Towering Inferno. And then I couldn't figure out what to put on. I have like almost a list of another five, like taking a Pelham one, two, three, four Musketeers. Is the, it's not brilliant, but it's a, a watchable. Sure. It's better than Towering Inferno. Uh, apprentice, apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. Get some Canadian films in there. Um, <laughs> Blazing Saddles. Why not? Gun to your head. Blazing uh, Saddles. Gun to my head. I'm going to say uh, Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. All right. That on instead of Towering Inferno. I like the Blazing Saddles. I thought that was very brave, but I like this one too. The Canadian. Cool. There's a better Mel Brooks movie that year, though. Young Frankenstein. No. I, I can't follow you down that no. road. No. I used to. I watch Young Frankenstein more than I watch Blazing yeah. Saddles. I like the singing scene in Young uh, Frankenstein. That's all I like. That's, yeah, that's really? all I can say. No, they're they're both, so funny, they're both amazing. It's, so it's a Sophie's yeah. Choice. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. There's just something about the <laughs> it's balls. a Sophie's Choice. Yeah. There's just something about the palsiness <laughs> oh, of Blazing Saddles. It's still, like, you watch it and you still get uncomfortable. Yeah. Thirty it's years so later, yeah. Yeah. like you, you watched. The, I, mean, I think we were as uncomfortable forty years ago. Totally, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, and you, you watch. You, I mean, you watch. Young know, Frankenstein still hilarious. I'm not going to pretend for a second it's not. It's just Blazing Saddles. The actually, it actually feels like it's. It means something. Yeah, I think. I honestly think that if Pryor had played yes. the role, yes. it would be as good. But for me, Young Frankenstein is just like such a pitch perfect parody. That yeah. everything it wants to do is. Um, is there mm-hmm. and Gene Wilder? It's my favorite performance of his, and he co-wrote it, so he's writing to his strength. I mean, he worked on Blazing Saddles oh, yeah. as well, but yeah. the Young Frankenstein script is just like it's an endless stream of pleasures. Also, Les Brooks, which is a huge thing for me. Uh, yeah, well, that that's one, a, one that's scene a and out, and that's you know, yeah. yeah. And I Hackman, still Hackman. 
I still like Blazing Saddles. All right, Saddles. right. Yeah. his second great performance mm-hmm. in 1974. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I saw. I no, 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 no. Conversation. Andrew. Oh, Look at your list. jumping to me. Um, I I definitely would not include Towering Inferno <laughs> on this ballot right. uh, ever for a second. Um, I also, I mean, I touched on this before. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do Lenny either. Oh yeah. I mean, I think Lenny's fine, but I wouldn't have included it in this five. Um, a couple of things that you brought up were also on mine. Uh, Apprenticeship of Daddy Kravitz was on mine. Taking a Pelham One yeah. to Three, another film that I really love. Um, there, there are so many things this year that I could go to bat for. I could even go to bat for something like Day for Night, Longest mm-hmm. Yard, Day for Night's absolutely um, Hearts and Minds. I could, I could go to bat for Murray, Murder on the Orient Express if I wanted to. <laughs> Harry and Tonto. Um, but Sir? the one that I would, I would go for is Woman Under the Influence, yeah. uh, oh, the Cassavetes yeah. film. Top of yeah. uh, with Jenna Rowland's greatest performance ever, with, yeah. unquestionably Astounding. one yeah. of the best performances by any actress. Yeah. Ever just any actor? That's like, his best movie. movie yeah. Her best yeah, it's it's a it's a career best for everyone involved. And Cassavetes is so underrated. Columbo's best movie. He did yeah. get the director nomination, which I was surprised. To he see. did, and and, and Roland, yeah. and she got yeah. hers. Yeah, she got hers. But I mean, it's just. In, in comparison to something like Lenny and Towering Inferno, I'm like, there's oh, no, this movie should have been on this yeah. on but this final ballot. But, but so that a, would be the one that I would really throw I in totally for. agree with you, and I think it's also a service statement of how the Academy Awards were, were like, that clearly should have been in the fifth yeah. spot, and they give it to fucking Towering Inferno, because yeah. they want to pat themselves on the well, back. Well, there's too much money. So much money. Yeah. 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 There was too much and, money involved with Towering and, Inferno. And you could not <laughs> Steve McQueen two insisted. movies more opposite than yeah. A Woman in the Under Influence and Towering Inferno. Yeah. Those are the extremes. <laughs> now, A Woman Under the Towering Inferno. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Directed oh, by Cassavetes with Roland and Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. I would watch that. As that character, yeah. replace McQueen. No, McQueen with and, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Falcon, it's Falcon <laughs> instead of McQueen and Newman. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. They right. did decide an <laughs> adventure too. I'd watch it. So you could do no, Towering Inferno uh, 2, Woman yeah, Under the Influence. Tower Under yeah. the Influence. Yeah. So how about you? <laughs> Me? All right, yeah. so um, I also, yeah, I, I got to go with the four except for Towering Inferno four, just because four, I like them. I know. I, I briefly considered dropping uh, Lenny, but I love it too much. I can't do it. So for my fifth spot, um, just to be uh, like, there are so many like California Split and and so many and te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre even I would yeah. put in, although it feels inappropriate. So um, the one I'm going to go with is uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Nice. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> just no kidding, intense, in every in, in, in every possible way. And like, and um, again, I just think of in terms of this being. A year of, of then it would make it five movies about yeah. horrendously horrible yeah. characters. That was on my list too, though. Yeah. Wow. And the other one I would consider um, also, just because I think it's so deeply underrated, would be Sugarland Express, uh, Spielberg's oh, yeah. first uh, feature film, which I think is amazing, kind of indicative of a type of film he could have made, but then chose not to. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? I uh, I probably definitely would have dropped Towering Inferno. Probably definitely. <laughs> probably definitely. That's coming from a suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, the movie made its money. <laughs> That's all you should care about from that perspective. I'm like, you know, I'm in the machine, but I'm not. I'm we made the money. <laughs> Who cares if it gets the award? Everyone saw it. And Lenny, it probably would have dropped it because there's a couple other movies that came out this year that I wanted to put in but I didn't realize Women Under the Influence was there so that's definitely <laughs> that's an amazing movie uh, but I, I love Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore and Ali Fi 
beards to soul. So I don't know if are we allowed to put German movies in this or no? You can yeah, put whatever you like. Yeah. Then that would be my fifth one. I leave fear. Fear eats the soul. Mm. It's this really it's like a weirdo movie, man. But it's, it's Fassbender. Fast yeah, it's Fassbender. It's about uh, a Moroccan. I think he's Moroccan. He's a black man with an older German woman, and they have a. It's like a love story. It's basically like a Douglas Sirk movie done in like. German, I guess in Berlin in the 70s. Yeah, no, it, it, like, it is written on the wind, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is written on the wind. And then it's like, it's weird, like it's, they do tableaus in the movie. Like people, <laughs> like you walk into a scene and they're all sort of frozen, kind of in a weird way. It's, it's not for everybody. But as far as like filmmaking and what we should support in the, you know, award season, <laughs> this is totally one for me. So. Did they have foreign film Oscars in 74? They have yeah, foreign sure, yeah. 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 Because when we did, for night would have won, didn't it? It did, I think. Okay. Yeah. No, it didn't get nominated for that. It was one of those weird ones where it didn't. get... I think it like France didn't put it forward as its movie, so that's why it like, cleaned up everything else. I could be wrong. I do not. I know. could be wrong, but I think it's one of those weird years where it happened. Okay, I'm going to quickly jump in and do mine then, because I would keep Godfather Two and Chinatown in the conversation. I'm conflicted about Lenny. I like it a lot, but there are two other films that I would put on that ballot instead. Zardoz and Emmanuel. No. Uh, <laughs> Caged uh, heat. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Woman under the influence. Absolutely. I think it's as I think it's as radical in its filmmaking as as Ali is uh, yeah. for its time and for for who made it too. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also want to give a little love to Alice doesn't live here anymore, which everyone forgot. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it just kind of slides past. It's a, that was online. Yeah, I'm not accusing anyone of forgetting, but it's just the kind of movie that never because it's so calm and quietly crafted and observational and because we don't think about Martin Scorsese picture being that kind of movie yeah. mm -hmm. um, it just everyone forgets it's there and it, that's one that I, I just you know I don't want it to slip away I want people to go out and find it if they listen to this because it's so good he's so good in it yeah. she's so good in it yeah, Kytel's like, Kytel's best performance yeah, it's, it's just one of those where the competition was so intense I couldn't mm -hmm. you know it was yeah. like six or seven down the list when it shouldn't have been yeah, just, yeah, that's how good a year. Maybe, maybe that's why they gave it to Towering Inferno because they couldn't choose. Yeah, yeah, like, ah, yeah, fuck yeah. Towering Inferno. Oh, there's always one. <laughs> but in Scorsese's filmography, it's really the best quiet movie that he's ever done. You know, yeah. yeah. There's like The Goodfellas and everything, but as far as a yeah. smaller movie with Jodie Foster, you really mm -hmm. can't find it. Yeah, working oh, yeah. against his instincts like all the time, yeah. and just letting scenes play, and maybe because of the sitcom sort of overtook the concept of Alice, which is crazy. Which is crazy to me because yeah. I didn't know that that existed until way mm -hmm. after I saw the movie. Right. And for a lot of people, though, it's the other way around. I love the shows that. and syndication and everything yes. was just inundated with yeah. it. I love that opening with shot like a 50s melodrama. Yeah. yeah it's, just it's a direct poking the idol as picture show, I think. It's way better than thought about, about that. Yeah. Yeah. like, ah, Bogdanovich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take the ascot off and live. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's East Coast, West Coast. It's like just yeah. that That's whole funny. thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just his own. I never thought of that before. That's 100%. And also, Ellen Burstyn coming off The Exorcist. Who do you want to work with? Oh, the taxi driver guy. Like, he's not trying to make it, but before you make that, make this for me. And boy, it's good. I just looked up foreign film, and no, it was not. France did, okay. submit, France did submit a movie. It was uh, Le Colon Lucien. That's what I thought, because oh, that happens a lot when you see foreign films nominated in other categories. Yeah. It's like an apology. Get this app. If you guys yeah. don't have it, it's called Meet the Awards. It's just, okay. it's okay. just a comprehensive um, awards mm -hmm. app, and you can see, check yeah, off the movies that you've seen, and it keeps yeah. a database for you. But yeah, Day for Night, which we didn't really talk about, that's uh, one of the greatest the awards yeah. filmmaking yeah. ever made. So we've got some good lists here. director for that, too. We've all put together our nominees, and um, we have to ask the question, does 1974 require a do-over? <laughs> <laughs> say no. Phil says no. Round the table. Jose says no. Uh, <laughs> I would give it to Chinatown, but I'll say I'll go. Okay. It doesn't need to. 
Nope. Doesn't need, doesn't need it. Yeah, it's Between those two Godfather two, you, you guys had a lot of love it's for a, Godfather Part 2, so decision. I don't think you should feel bad about... Yeah. No. You know, By a hair over Chinatown, but yeah. yeah. I'm entirely fine with Godfather 2 winning, uh, but Chinatown and The Conversation are both yeah. Like, yeah. just as, yeah. just as yeah. worthy. Any other year, they would have won. Yeah, yeah I would say. Sure. Yeah, it's just what are you going to do? It's Godfather 2. Yeah. What's going to do? It's Godfather 2. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they, they had t-shirts. There was a reason. Um, yeah, I just, you can't, it's just one of the greatest achievements filmmaking ever. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. that? You get out of the way. Like, yeah. How, do you, yeah. how do you not acknowledge that? Yeah. No. Well, thank you for giving me your Sunday, everybody. Thank mm-hmm. you. Our pleasure. A lot of fun. Cool. just watched 27 hours of film. That's right. <laughs> that was whole, was like three three-hour films in there, wasn't it? There was. One of the most towering Inferno. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, why, why, that doesn't need to be long. Like, no, there Lord. wasn't even character development, so why bother? So if there's one takeaway from today, it's don't watch Towering Inferno, I suppose. No. <laughs> I think that is the one thing we all <laughs> oh, watch on Evil. Well, don't yeah. don't give it an Oscar. Watch it. Watch every other film Watch the conversation three times, or watch it twice, two and a half times, whatever. I'm certain there's a YouTube montage of everything you need to see in Towering Thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure it's like there. the trailer for it is probably good. Enough. Yeah, watch it's a long ass trailer. trailer. Yeah, it's one of the yeah, 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 which is good. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> well, thanks again. And just like that, episode one is done. 1974 stays just like it was. The Godfather Part Two reigns supreme as is only good and just. Uh, Thanks again to Norm, Phil, Jose, David, and Andrew. We'll be back with movies from the year 1975 and on and on into the future. It's going to be one heck of a ride for your reconsideration. We'll talk soon. For Your Reconsideration is a production of Duver Podcasts and Such. To subscribe, share, rate, and review, please visit Duvra.com. Duvra! Podcasts and such.